lovely notes of Giuseppe Verdi. Meantime, for another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio at the highest level and told like it is. Frank Cravello here. Glad you've clicked on and gotten stuck in with us. With me, co-host Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. How are we doing this Sunday evening? Oh, you know the uh, the beer tastes a little better after a Milan win. Let's it just does, uh, let's it? just say that it does. So so does the great, grappa. Uh, yeah, and the grappa or whatever you whatever you're whatever you're drinking. So, uh, yeah, very good performance. We will certainly get into that. This uh, podcast going to be pretty Juve centric uh, with um, their uh, match in the first leg of the Champions League. We'll review that. Uh, also, a little matter of a docu series about Juventus now out on Netflix that premiered on February sixteenth. Uh, we'll kind of break down what we saw with that. And get into the Derby della Mole uh, with the uh, Juventus 1-0 win over Torino uh, and what it means for both teams. To help us do that uh, is our guest making his second appearance, earning his second cap um, with the Serie A sit-down, Greg, Gregory Caltabanis. Greg, ciao. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're, we're doing great. Oh, very um, good. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, 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 Greg is a uh, editor with Italian football daily columnist with uh, Canadian world traveler. Uh, he's also done stuff for these footy times, AS Roman English, uh, Yahoo sport, UK, T4 football, uh, probably plenty of other stuff where his work is out there. So, uh, uh, you know, before we jump into all of this, Greg, how about a, a little bit of a taste of, uh, of some of the work you've been doing? So just about lately, uh, I've been writing a lot, obviously, about Juve, but I've been trying to contribute more to the AS Roma website because I believe they have a very good project, especially, uh, I believe it is run by Alexander uh, Michelson, uh, Alexander Fredrickson. He does some very good work for Roma, especially on the social media uh, feeds, as you could tell. So I've been trying to work closely with them. Other than that, I'm working on an article on your boy, Patrick Cutrone, for these 40 times. So that nice. should be dropping... That should drop anytime next week. Other than that, you know, trying to take in uh, beautiful Asia. It's been about two, three weeks that we're here. Just trying to get to know this continent since it's the first time we're here. Color us <laughs> jealous. Yeah. <laughs> Had to leave the cold, guys. Yeah, Had you're in ba- you're you're in Bali now. Is that is that right? Yep. Yep. Right now we're in Bali, and then uh, probably gonna head down to Thailand. Okay. Well, enjoy it. Uh, Enjoy it, especially all Thailand, especially the cuisine. Uh, can only imagine. Um, <laughs> it's, in, it's probably even better than what what I get here at home. So, uh, <laughs> thanks, guys. But uh, but no problem. But uh, we're going to uh, spend a good bit of time talking about your favorite team, Juventus, um, the the team that everybody seems to think I have a bias against all of a sudden because of some things I've written <laughs> about them, which I, <laughs> which which uh, which I don't and. Um, largely I don't have a bias against them. And my son, uh, Anthony is, is he is a Juventus fan. So, um, I, I keep saying to Richard, I said, I'm working on that, but, uh, he's <laughs> Makes for he's, an interesting household dynamic, that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, we will, you know, if, it, if that's what he wants to support, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll back him on it. And he, Paulo Dybala is his favorite player. So, um, he was happy to see uh, Dybala get back on the pitch today. We'll talk about that derby shortly. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, a lot to talk about with Juventus. And, uh, you know, first of all, let's just get into that Champions League uh, round of 16 first leg at the J. Took on Tottenham Hotspur. Um, it ended in a 2-2 draw. 
it was uh, a great start, a nice training ground set piece uh, to set up Gonzalo Higuain for his first. He would get a penalty to make it 2-0. Uh, had a sitter that could have put him ahead 3-0. Uh, I think he was fed through by Pjanic. Uh, yeah. And then... Tottenham scored to make it 2-1, and I believe that after that is when Iguain missed a penalty that could have put Juve up 3-1. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then it was a Christian Eriksen free kick uh, that equalized and made it 2-2. Um, on the surface, uh, it obviously the advantages for Tottenham Hotspur with the score draw and the two away goals to take back to Wembley. Uh, let's yep. just start, Greg, with your reaction on the match and uh, your thoughts on it. I guess let's start with the lineup. I was very surprised uh, that Allegri decided to go with Bernadeschi in a 10 role, not something that they have done with him this season. No, I thought the lineup, uh, well, I thought Allegri's hands were kind of tied when it came to the lineup because as we saw in the game prior, uh, the midfield trio of Marquisio, Kedira, and Pjanic didn't exactly work as uh, Marquisio and the German are kind of too similar, so they don't offer much uh, different options in the final third. So he had to drop one of them, that I understand. Uh, I wasn't expecting him to go with a double pivot. Uh, clearly, it looked like the game was passing by Kadira. He, he was a bystander more than anything. Yeah. Uh, he had to offer more. Eriksen and Dele Alli were just carving them up in the midfield. And then, as you mentioned, uh, Bernardeschi playing in the 10 role. Uh, we've seen him play there a few times for Fiorentina. Uh, but obviously it's not his preferred role. He would rather play on the wing, cut in on his prefer on his left foot and, you know, make stuff happen. What I did realize about Bernardeschi is that he wasn't exactly in tune with Juventus's pressing schemes and he wasn't exactly in tune with the defensive work that he had to put in. So oftentimes uh, the opposition would, would get the better of him in Juventus final third, uh, leaving a lot of space. Other than that, though, I thought he was one of our best players in the final third and he provided a lot of uh, chances to Higuain. Filtered in a lot of dangerous crosses, but uh, if you, as you guys saw in the match, after the first 10 minutes, it was kind of all Tottenham. Pochettino's men pressed us off the pitch, and to me, it was just typical Juve in Europe. They get a lead, they think they could sit, rest on their laurels and sit back, uh, while they should have just kept going, kept going, because there were go there were more goals for Juve than just the two they got. They just had to go for them, uh, but again, they sat back and they paid the price. Um, to, to follow up on that. Uh... You know, I guess I'm I got concerned when I saw the lineup, uh, in particular Bernadeschi in a ten, which they, yeah, yes, he's done that before with Fiorentina, but you know they have not used that in a game with with Juve. Uh, I just I just wonder what you thought. Um, I would have I would have thought a three man midfield and going with Sterato, uh would have made a little bit more sense, especially when you talk about the mm -hmm. performances of Eriksen and Deli Alley. Yeah, look, Surado could have started just because he offers something different. He's a midfield hard man. In Matuidi's absence, you kind of need someone to do that job. But at the same time, someone like Rodrigo Betancourt could come on. And instead of going for that uh, defensive scheme, you could have uh, opted to keep more of the ball. The Uruguayan midfielder, while he is still young and inexperienced, every time he gets on the pitch, he, he, he does well. He knows how to keep the ball. He knows when to release the ball. Uh, his vision is up there, and his defensive positioning is improving with each game. So, personally, I would have liked to see him start with Pjanic and Kedira with Marquisio coming on later for the German. Uh, but, as you say, Sturado would have just as easily done the job as we saw in the Derby della Mole. I'm not his biggest fan, but he had a good game today. Well, yesterday, or well, this morning, I guess, for you guys. Um, other than that, uh, going to Wembley with 2-2 as the scoreline, I think even with all the injuries, you still need to field them three-man midfield or, again, Pochettino 
we'll take advantage of them midfield superiority and just, you know, Juve won't progress the quarterfinals. Is Richard? Ma- is Matuidi injured? Is that why he didn't even he didn't feature yeah. in, the, in the bench? Okay. Mm-hmm. okay yeah, I was he was injured. That. He How- should be back. He should be back, but it's going to be a race against time for the return leg. If he if he could be back by the by the return leg, a, a midfield of him, Kadira, or or Marquisio, and then uh, Pjanic would probably do better for them because they need they do need three guys to clog up the midfield, like you said, because they got carved up by Tottenham. Uh, yeah. What what do you want to see as far as the attacking? Obviously, and you preferred you would like I guess Mandzukic on the left, DiBala in the middle, and then maybe Cuadrado on the right, or what, what's your preferred attack uh, against Tottenham? Uh, it really depends because between here and March 7th, Juve are still dealing with a number of injuries. Today, Higuain went down. He yep. should be back yeah, in theory. Yeah. In theory, he should be back in two weeks, so he should make it. Uh, Bernardeschi went down as well. In theory, again, he should be back between 10 and 15 days. So considering they're all fit other than Cuadrado, I think a front three of Douglas Costa, Higuain, and Dybala would do best. Uh, that would mean sacrificing Mandzukic, yes. Uh, but at the same time, the Croatian hasn't looked uh, like his former self. Yes, he's had a few good games. But when you go against Tottenham, you have to take advantage of their suspect fullbacks. Because every time Bernardeschi or Douglas Costa went up against Ben Davies or Serge Aurier, they got the better of them. Davies even conceded that the, one of the penalties that uh, Higuain converted. Uh, so other than that, other than that front three... Then you have options on the bench to bring on Bernardeschi, to bring on Mandzukic if they really need a goal late. Whereas by fielding Bernardeschi, Costa, Mandzukic, and Higuain in the first leg, as soon as Juve needed a goal, we had no one on the bench to bring on because Dybala was obviously hurt. So I think the, the front three that I had said gives you the option to hurt them in the first half. And then it gives you the option to hurt them late in the game when you need to bring on some impact subs. Um I, uh, I I did a guest spot for uh, Banter FC uh, podcast, and we talked Serie A and uh, uh, Tyler Dunn, which uh, that'll be out on Wednesday for uh, for anybody that's interested. Um, it, it, one of the questions that he raised about, because we talked about this game, and one of the questions that he raised as far as Gonzalo Higuain, um, that uh, obviously when when he's on, he's going to score multiple goals for you. But when he's off, he's he's way off and he's a hindrance to the team. Do you feel that way? It's funny. It's only Higuain could score two goals in the first 10 minutes of a Champions League game and then emerge as the villain after missing a penalty and a guilt-edged chance. <laughs> it, 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 it's, 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 it's an uncanny ability for that he always victimizes himself like this. But yes, I do agree that when Higuain is off his game, there is frankly no one worse to play up front for Juve because he's slow, he doesn't link up the play. And he turns over a lot of easy balls. Obviously, when he's on it, you saw him take that chance off the Pjanic free kick off right straight off the training ground with his eyes closed. Oh, he, it was almost like second nature, that finish. Uh, and admittingly, despite the misses, despite the penalty miss, despite the, the crucial miss to go up 3-0, I thought Higuain had a decent game. He looked sharp in his movements, which that's all you could really ask from your striker. Yes, his finishing left a bit to be desired towards the end, but... Uh, you know, all things aside, I think he should start. I don't see him as a hindrance per se, because I do think he's gonna. He's in the best form of the season so far. You know, he has something like seven goals in his last six games. So uh, moving forward, I think he should. Continue. He's gonna continue that good form, and I do. I do back him to score against Tottenham in the return. Like their defense isn't all that great, other than Alderweireld and uh, Vertonghen. Now we knew going in that uh, Tottenham had a had a potent offense, but we thought we were Frank and I were both confident that that uh, Juventus could do the job and shut them down. 
They got mm-hmm. two goal. They got two important away goals, which rare, it's rare to have anybody score at the at the J or Alliance Stadium. Um, so, how concerned are you that they gave it two goals going into this away going to this away leg at Wembley? I mean, yes, obviously Juventus can score, but the two goals scored scored were uh, big. Yeah, I think more than any the the game showed us is how how not to play against Tottenham in the return leg. Uh, if Juve do opt to sit back like they did in the first leg, it's undoubted undoubtedly Juve will concede more goals. But if Allegri learns from his mistakes and instead of setting up Juve in a deep block, puts the line a bit higher, presses them and attacks, I really think Juve's defense will come through again. Benatian Kalini will have better games because it's asking a lot from them to stop right. wave after wave after right. wave. Uh, the fullbacks will also have better games because instead of being pinned back deep, they're going to be able to pin back the oppositions themselves. Um, again, Kadira can't play that bad again, you know? It's one of those things where he just had one of his worst games of the season. So there's the only way is up for him really now. So at Wembley, he should have a better game, which should help the defense, which should help you not concede. Obviously, you go up against one of the best strikers in the world in Harry Kane, so it's never easy to keep him quiet. Uh, as we saw right before he scored, there was warning signs that the header just from three, four yards in that Buffon saved. So stop putting Chiellini on him is probably the move. Uh, other than that, like I said, Juve cannot rest on their laurels. They have to attack, 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 and then push up and give Tottenham some of the give Tottenham some of their own medicine and press them high. I I, I, I like that approach. Um, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, we'll certainly see if they said. I I I think right now. You know, if there's any team that is taking a two-two disadvantage to the second leg, that that I would be confident in getting the result and, and getting through its Juventus just with all that experience, yeah. um, Allegri's, Allegri's tactical know-how, um, you know, and, uh, you know, just, uh, and, and, and Dybala coming back, the possibility of Matuidi coming back, um, you know, offering a little something. Now that said, you know, Dybala's coming back. He's going to start getting his legs back under him here over the next couple of weeks. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. We're gonna we if 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 Juventus is going to go through, we're gonna have to rely on the number ten. And uh, the stigma about Paulo Dybala is these big games. He he hasn't done it. Uh, how concerned are you with Paulo Dybala uh, going into leg two? The thing with Dybala is that in the Champions League, he hasn't exactly made the leap away from home. Yes, he's had good games at the Juventus Stadium, at the Allianz yes. Stadium, uh, as we saw in the first leg against Barcelona last year that he scored that break in 10 in about 10 minutes. Uh, but every time Juve goes away from home, it's, it, he almost gets a bit hesitant. He drops way too deep in the midfield. Maybe that's a part of Allegri's system, but at the same time, he needs to shoulder some of that blame. He needs to become a bit more selfish in front of goal away from home. He needs to dictate the play more. After all, he is Juve's number 10. That jersey, the number 10 jersey, while it is a heavy one, comes with certain responsibilities. You need to be the side's catalyst in the final third. If, especially if Higuain's not, uh, not exactly firing on all cylinders, uh, La Jolla really needs to step up. Uh, going into Wembley at 2-2, the stage is set for Dybala. He's going to have about a few weeks. to re- Now he's back from injury, yes, but obviously he's not at 100% yet, even though he played today in the Derby de la Mole. Um, so we're going to need to see him get another another three, four games right before that Tottenham one, and he should be fine to go. Yes, I'm a bit wary that he won't perform as it has been the case for him in these away games, but at the same time, this, we're talking about a player, one of the best players in Italy. Uh, we're talking about a player who has consistently improved in everything he's done. Uh, so it's about time that he gets it done in the Champions League. 
All right, so we're gonna, we're, we're, we talked about the first leg here, and we're going to talk about the second leg against Tottenham. I want to shift a little bit to the Netflix series that's going on with uh, Juventus. Uh, a lot of people have compared it to the hard knocks of the NFL that they had <laughs> and, and also the one with the NHL they do. Um, I think it's unfair. People are putting the hard knocks on this high pedestal. It was great. It was good, but it's not like earth-shattering like people are saying. Uh, there are a lot of mixed reviews on this, um, good and bad. I actually thought it was very good. Um, I found that I, watching this, I became a fan of uh, Iguain. At first, I was laughing at him, but then you know, he, he, he drinks the mate that I'm used to in South America. Pjanic, I actually really fell in love with Pjanic watching this piece. So uh, what did you, you make of this, uh, this docuseries so far? I know you've seen the whole thing, but uh, for yeah. people who haven't seen the whole thing yet, uh, what, what, have you, what was your first take on the first episode or two? I think it honestly I do think the docu series is good but I do not think it's great. I it is well shot there's some interesting insight into the team the everyday happenings at Vinovo at uh, the the Allianz stadium uh so at, in that respect yes it's good to shed some light on one of on many of uh, Italian fans favorite team. However I do think it is a bit generic in the sense that they always throughout the docu series they allude to this greater goal of winning the Champions League. You have a lot of the players talking about it, uh, a lot of the staff talking about it, Agnelli talking about this obsession, Allegri talking about it. And to me, that that you know, it sets up it sets up the the side for failure because if all you're really pointing for, all you're really aiming for is the Champions League, and then let's say you don't win the Champions League, everyone's disappointed at the club regardless of what you do. Otherwise, other than that, what I really found cool is that Pjanic speaks to his son in French. Yes, I love that part. So, you know, it's just a little interesting thing that you don't really know about until you know about it, and I found found that cool. Uh, obviously, any camera time with Buffon to me—he's uh, my idol. I grew up, <laughs> uh, I, I'm still playing in net. I, I grew up in nets. I'm still playing in nets largely because of him. Uh, so any airtime with him is interesting. He always has some int- some good stuff to say. Even him, he—it he, was very—it was a humanizing aspect of it. He, at one point, he, there's a quote that's really flying around social media that says, "I cry a lot." Uh, I cry often, I cry out loud, or you know, so, something along those lines. And you know, that really hits home considering when you think about the defeats he's had to deal in there over the years, uh, both Champions League defeats, uh, the 4-1, dr- the 4-0 drubbing in, in Euro 2012. So in that respect, you know, you get to see more of, of some of these players that you think are superhuman and are not prone to these lapses. Other than that, I, I thought it, it sets up the next three episodes nicely, like the ending. Uh, so I guess we'll see how that pans out in the future. Um, I'm I, I you know I coached youth soccer for 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 20 years and I'm I'm, I'm roped back into it again coaching my son's under six team. Um, you mm-hmm. know, so I've always been a student of of other coaches. Um, yeah, you know, so so for me, my favorite my favorite parts of the series, and I'm I'm about halfway through the first three episodes. Um, yeah, my favorite parts of the training sessions. Uh, you know, obviously we're not getting all of the secrets of what Max Allegri likes to do and what Juventus are, are, are about and how they, how they go about their business, but we're getting enough snippets and, you know, listening to the instructions that he's shouting and, you know, trying to take that and decipher, okay, well, what's he working on? Uh, for, for me, that's an, you know, that's an interesting part of it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I'm with you that this is a good documentary. It's not, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting. I think it's great for the casual football fan to, you know, be able to see what goes on behind the scenes. And I think that, uh, just as a, as a universal thing, um, you know, I, I, you see a human side of, of these, of these players. I mean, yeah, these are, yeah. these are giants among mm-hmm. men, uh, in, in, in our, in our, in, in, in our life. 
And uh, but uh, it the the the, uh, the docu series is doing a nice job of capturing capturing the fact that um, they're also human. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. I one of my favorite my you know I, I mentioned my son's favorite player is DiBala. My newfound respect for him. Um, I had no idea until I watched the docu series when he missed that penalty against Lazio. Uh, after the game, he's still signing autographs and greeting fans and um yep you know and 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 owning it you know where where a lot of players in this situation were said i really don't want to see or talk to anybody right now so um you, you just a little bit of the mm-hmm. human the human aspect of of what we're seeing with this docuseries no 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 doubt about it no doubt about it you have a guy like dibala who already assumes a lot of responsibility is adored by the fan base then misses that crucial penalty against lazio and then you know he has he, he he owns it, steps up, says it was his mistake, uh, and as you mentioned, sticks around to sign the autographs. Then you look at, I don't, you look at Higuain uh, trying to speak Italian. I found that part kind of funny. Uh, you know, he's been in the country for so long, still hasn't picked up the language that well. It's like Spanish, uh, another favorite Spanish part Italian. of <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of both, isn't it? Uh, then you got Marquisio showing us how to make an espresso, showing us how to make a proper coffee. That was one of my favorite parts. Uh, all in all, though, uh, again, it humanizes these, these giants among men, like you say. Uh, it should do good. It's obviously a marketing ploy on Juve's end between rebranding the logo, between showing more of the, the behind the scenes of the club, uh, t- alluding to this obsession for the Champions League that just further draws in the fans that are also obsessed with winning the Champions League. So all in all, I think uh, Juve did well with this. Yeah. yeah, certainly looking forward to seeing more episodes. Again, that's called, that is called First Team Juventus. Uh, you can find it on Netflix. Uh, it premiered on Friday, February 16th, and there are three episodes out. Uh, so uh, uh, do check it out. Fan of Juve, not a fan of Juve. Uh, watch it anyway. It's, uh, you know, it's certainly it's certainly compelling. Um, all right. Well, let's go from what uh, they do off the pitch and some of the things that th- that have already been uh, documented. We've we've put the we put the Champions League to bed. So let's uh, move on and capture what went on in the Derby della Mole. All right, here we go. Uh, Darby Delamole, and if you had been watching First Team Juventus, spoiler alert, they talked about uh, the first uh, meeting, and they talk about how Torino, Torino exists to win the Darby Delamole, Juventus exists to win the Scudetto, they, that the Darby Delamole is really secondary to them. I thought that was an interesting, uh, uh, I thought that was a very interesting comment. But uh, nonetheless, uh, they locked up at the Olimpico in Torino. Um, Walter Mazzari getting uh, Torino on a nice little run here since taking over, uh, getting Andrea Belotti back, which has been important. Uh, Juventus, uh, could they bounce back from the uh, 2-2 draw in the Champions League on Tuesday against Tottenham, as we discussed? Uh, you know, much going on here. And uh, uh, an issue for Juventus 15 minutes in, uh, Iguain's trying to, uh, you know, trying to get in, get to the ball in the penalty area. Sidigu comes out and challenges him. Clean challenge, won by Sidigu, brought down Iguain and ended up Iguain ended up injuring his ankle and leaving the game mm-hmm. uh, just 15 minutes in. So big blow for Juventus right off the bat, but they carried on and played. And his substitute, Federico Benedeschi, uh, was rather influential uh, from the moment he stepped on the pitch. And he would provide service 
per questo opening goal in the 33rd minute. Bernardeschi dall'altro lato entra in area. Bernardeschi la finta riesce a passare. Bernardeschi col destro. Alexandro porta in vantaggio la Juventus. 33 minuti di gioco. Torino 0, Juventus 1. Alexandro. And it was Alexandro who had the easiest of uh, jobs to do once that ball came across unmarked at the back post. Just tuck it in uh, to give Juventus the 1-0 lead. Uh, the balance of this game, uh, you saw uh, a lot of low block from Juve. Uh, not, Torino trying to press forward and create something, anything, uh, really in vain um, more than anything. Just uh, their play looked pre- – really, their play looked predictable, Greg. Um, and uh, Juve snuffed out just about everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's middle of February in 2018, and in Serie A, Juve have yet to concede a goal in this calendar year. Uh, and Torino, Torino, the latest victim. Um, uh, overall reaction uh, to uh, Juventus's performance in this one? I thought Juve, as you mentioned, got a very comfortable three points with Torino uh, barely threatening the back line. Yes, there were some moments... Uh, Andrea Belotti looked dangerous sometimes that Iago Falke would cut on his left foot and sure my heart skipped a beat but at the end of the day uh, it never really looked like they were going to find the back of the net even at one point they had a two-on-one with Joel Obi leading the the rush uh, on Rugani with Belotti to his uh, Belotti yeah it was to Joel Obi's left uh, the Nigerian midfielder kind of instead of really driving the ball forward he made a, a kind of a weak pass squandering their only real chance to score the only real time that they look to break uh, to bypass Juve's defense other than that I thought Juve really managed the game well uh, the Juve dominated possession for I don't know like large parts of the game let's say if Torino were threatening at a certain point Juve would just say okay they would take the ball then keep the ball for like 10-15 minutes kind of alleviate the pressure uh, set the tempo for themselves i thought Alexandro starting at left wing was an interesting decision by Allegri, but speaking of the Brazilian, he's a player that is already low on confidence. So getting him that goal, letting him, giving him the freedom of playing on the wing, letting him take on defenders really helped him. Uh, Bernadeschi, when he came on, again made the difference, beating men with ease, uh, filtering in a number of crosses. Even if Juve was playing without an out-and-out prima punta, without an out-and-out reference point, uh, they did look threatening. More than anything, though, Juve probably thought to themselves that they could see this one out without having to score another goal. Uh, and uh, that's basically what they did. Yep. Uh, very good point about Alexandro, though. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, not playing to the level that he that he played at last season. I thought he was... You could make the case that if you're trying to, you know, pick a player of the season last year with Juventus, he was maybe among the, 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 the top two or three players um, you mm-hmm. know, in their in their run last season, very influential has just not gotten to that point this year. So hopefully that goal will start springing things forward for Juventus fans. Richard, we saw the return of Paulo Dybala. Uh, he got 25 minutes out there. He's back after uh, being out for a little over a month with an injury, and it just seemed like all Torino wanted to do was put him back on the treatment table. Yeah, I guess they're uh, maybe they took offense to what was said in the docu series. Who knows? Uh, yeah, no. As soon as he came on, they 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 wanted to take him down, hack him down. Uh, it looked like old Italian defense there, uh, trying to trying to look like it, trying to almost injure him. Um, I mean, yeah, he's he's an impossible guy to mark, but I mean, that's that's I guess a way to stop him. Um, that's not the way I would choose, but yeah, it 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 seemed to give him rough and try to um make him uncomfortable basically, and so he did, so he couldn't get into the game, but. Um. Yeah, he uh, he can find through it. Uh, luckily, he didn't get injured or anything. And Richard, um, 
coming up for Torino at Verona, uh, Cortoni at home, and then they head to Roma. Um, you know, this loss you, you doesn't, it's not the end of the world for them. They're on 36 points, uh, considering Sampdoria are in sixth and lost today. So they're still only five points back, but, uh, uh, what kind of chance do you give Mazzari's men to work their way up and snag, uh, uh, you know, maybe a, a sixth place finish and qualify for Europe? If they're going to make any kind of move, this is the time to do it. This is the perfect time in the schedule to do it. Yeah, the loss, it, it hurts to lose to your rival, uh, but it's not the end of the world. I mean, most people predicted that they were going to lose this game. So you put this, you put this game aside and then you focus on the next three and then go from there. Um, like I said, these are the perfect, perfect three games here where they can get some points. If they get collect all nine points, that's going to put pressure on the teams above them. Uh, maybe those teams start to worry and start to falter. Uh, so they're, 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 they're still in it. Uh, they're definitely a top 10 team in my opinion, at least with the quality that they have on their paper. Uh, whether they can produce it, that's another question. Um, as Greg said, uh, Balotti is starting to come around now. The last two, th- two weeks, uh, he's looking better and better. Starting, you starting to see glimpses of his old self. Uh, he needs to get back on the score sheet, obviously, like he did last week. Uh, if he can do that and, you know, with the likes of Iago Falque and the rest of the guys, um, I can see that I can see them getting back into the, into the Europa League picture. They're very quick. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and Greg, final one here on Juventus. Uh, uh, I think, uh, someone that's get, getting a little underappreciated here is Wojciech Chesney. Um, uh, you know, mm-hmm. him stepping in and putting in some of the performances. And it's it, it, nice to be able to fall back to uh, to a goalkeeper with that kind of talent to be able to give uh, Gigi Buffon a chance to, uh, you know, to have a bit of a breather uh, and not have to maybe play every three game, every three days. It, it might unnerve uh, some of the Juventus fan base, what I'm about to say, but you could even argue that Chesney has been better than Buffon this season. <laughs> and mm. uh, not, this is the part this is the part where I duck. Uh, I won't. But, I won't. Uh, I, and you know what? I won't fight you on that. Like he's he's been great. He t- his he, typically he's erratic. He he's error prone. Well, typically in his Arsenal days, he's been error prone, erratic. But since coming to Italy, uh, since playing for Roma, it looks like he's uh, taken that out of his game. It looks like he's taken make taking the next step in his career. He alluded to it himself that. Throughout his time at Arsenal, he barely improved. And the minute he arrived in Italy, he started working with different goalie coaches, uh, different trainers, and he started weeding certain things out of his game, started playing with more confidence, started dominating his area more. And uh, as we saw against Torino, as we saw throughout basically any appearance he's made this season, it's without any mistakes. Uh, he's been great. Uh, you could even make the case for him to start the game uh, against Tottenham at Wembley. Obviously, throughout it, with his Arsenal past, uh, they're fierce rivals. He's got some history with them. He's got some experience playing in England. Uh, so either way, either way, Juve's net is in safe hands this season. One more question about Juventus um, before we before we move on to the next one here. You know, I, I alluded to it already. I mean, the only two, the only goals they've conceded so far in calendar 2018 are the two against uh, Tottenham in the Champions League. They have mm-hmm. not conceded a goal, um, you know, since they beat. You know, they conceded a goal against Hellas Verona, uh, and in Serie A play, that is the only goal that they've conceded uh, since a 3-2 yeah. defeat to Sampdoria back at the end of November. And it's not like they are playing the same four guys. Uh, across the back, you know, they're wrote, I like he's rotating Basilio and Licksteiner. He's rotating, you know, Benatia, Barzali, and Rugani. Chiellini's probably the constant in all of this. And then he's rotating mm-hmm. Alexandro and, and Asamoah. And then he's also rotating the goalkeepers. Buffon's playing, Chesney's playing. I know Chesney played a good bit with Buffon being hurt. 
how with rotating so many players are they making defending as a team so easy? Well, I believe that just stems from the fact that Allegri preaches a very a common game plan, a common goal for the defenders to adhere to. So no matter who you put in, no matter who you switch out, they're all striving for the same objective. They all know how to maintain the line the same way. Uh, and then you talk about the difference between Barzali, Chiellini, Benatia, Rugani. Other than Chiellini, there's not much between the other three defenders. They're all of the same quality. They all could do the job. And Allegri has confidence in all four of them, frankly. So regardless of who plays, regardless of who slots in, Juve will be fine at the back. Then you talk. Up, you even spoke about Asamo, who's played some minutes in Alexandro's absence. You could even say that the Ghanaian has been better than uh, Alexandro. Every time yeah. he's played, he's looked he's looked menacing going forward. He's been solid at the back, and it's I would have to think a while back before his last mistake defensively, which is a pretty interesting transformation since the Conte days that saw him play at left wing back in the three five two. So. All in all, I, I think it's more of the same of you've establishing a, a very solid uh, defensive identity, uh, regardless of who's at the back. Yeah. Uh, since we have Greg on here, uh, we got a Twitter question about Juventus, so it's perfect time for all three of us to answer this. Um, this comes from a bag full of toffee, who I think is a closet Juventus fan. Uh, so his tweet was, Torino, <laughs> Torino very disappointing today. Juve controlled the game from start to finish. Good to see the Dybala back. Now the question he has is, if or when they win the Scudetto, is, is this Allegri's best Scudetto with some of the injuries they've had this season? He thinks so. What do you think? Ooh... Is best Scudetto at Juve or best Scudetto overall? At Juve. It would have to be, yes, because no one has pushed Juve as deeply as Napoli have. I tweeted it earlier today after Napoli's win. Both sides are on point to crack 100 points. That is, frank, that is frankly ridiculous. Yeah. It's crazy. So I think just by default, this, this would be Allegri's best uh, Scudetto if Juve were to go on and beat and pip Napoli to the title. Uh, but there's still a lot of football to be played here. Yeah, I agree with. Go ahead, Frank. Oh, I agree with Greg. I mean, I think, you know, last year when you look at, you look at it on the surface, you know, Roma pushed Juve to match week thirty-seven. But when you when you peel that when you peel that onion, you'll see that, you know, at least Richard and I on the, on on this podcast made the commentary that this Scudetto was decided, or the twenty sixteen twenty seventeen Scudetto was decided in that twenty sixteen summer mercato. Uh, when Juve got Iguain from uh, Napoli and got Piano right, right, from yeah. Roma. So we said, this exactly. is over. You can just give him the trophy now, um, and we'll just play the 38 games and go from there. But, yeah, this is the, this is the first time that I think, you know, under Allegri's tenure that they have been pushed by another team and that, they're ch- that they are chasing it rather than the one being chased. Uh, and then mm-hmm. on top of that, with all of the injuries – uh, you know, as you mentioned, um, you know, for, for them to still be able to stand in, uh, you know, if Nick one nil wins here or two nil wins there and just keep on and, and just keep on going, you know, having a system and just plugging different guys in. Uh, for me, if, if, if they pull this off, this would be Allegri's best Scudetto. I'm actually torn about this. Um, it's in between. If they do pull it off this season, it'd be a tie for me with this one and then the one in the 15 season because in the 15 they started so poorly, and then in the second half they just destroyed everybody uh, and they blew it and, they, and they just went on this great run. So for me, it'd be a tie between the two. Mm-hmm. But the, obviously, the injuries that play a big role in this, um, and it, like 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 both you guys have said, it, you know, they're gonna be pushed by Napoli till the end. Uh, so if they do get it, it'll be the first time that they've they've had a fight uh, with some adversity throughout the season, not just for a few weeks here and there. Mm, indeed, indeed, and I Agreed. think that, yeah, 
but uh, boy, this is this is this is going to be fun. Um, you know, I, I predicted that Juventus would win this uh, Scudetto. I think Richard Richard also predicted that Juventus would win the Scudetto. No, I, pick, I picked Napoli, actually. Oh, you did pick Napoli. Why do I yep. keep getting that wrong? Um, See, but you're, anyway. trying to, you're trying to turn me into the Juventus bandwagon. That's what it is. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. <laughs> I think the Everyone's other thing welcome that, Yeah, but I think the other thing, um, I think the other thing that Juventus has uh, to their advantage is that uh, the, uh, the, the, the second game where they play each other is at the J. Um and uh, I think mm-hmm. that's a difficult proposition. That's going to be a difficult proposition for Napoli to overcome. Um, you know, so, but uh, we've, we've, we've seen stranger things. Uh, but uh, it will, uh, you know, it will be interesting. Uh, so by and large, we think this is going to be the most impressive, uh, you know, Scudetto uh, under Allegri at Juventus. Uh, but, uh, you know, Richard, you did mention that. And I think it was the 15-16 season after they lost, or was it the... Yeah, 15, 15 16 mm-hmm. season. Yeah. Um, the season after they lost to Barcelona in the final uh, of the Champions League, uh, where they, yeah, where they had that slow start and then just, you know, turned it on. So, uh, you know, you could argue that that was a very impressive one as well. So, uh, you know, so that is Juventus um, and, 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 and everything you need to know right now about the Champions. Uh, big win today in the Derby della Mole. Uh, the other marquee game. Uh, on this match week 25 slate took place on Sunday night, AC Milan and Sampdoria. Uh, we had wondered if Sampdoria had peaked since that win over Juventus back in November, but then they have collected some impressive performances, uh, drawing and beating Roma, uh, beating uh, uh, Fiorentina, um, uh, and then uh, you know, you know, drawing Torino, which actually looks pretty good considering how Torino had been playing. Um, so uh, Marco Giampaolo is certainly getting these guys on a little bit of a, of a run here, not to mention that last season Sampdoria won this fixture at the San Siro. Uh, so, you know, a lot going for them coming in. Uh, it's starting to be, you know, when you talk about Napoli and Juventus and the impressive run that they're on, you, you, we're going to talk about Roma a little bit later, but fly, you know, maybe it's safe to say flying under the radar is Gennaro Gattuso's Milan and the run that they're on a six match unbeaten run coming into this uh, and an important game here against Sampdoria in their quest uh, to try to nab a European place. So uh, it was all set for a very tense affair at the San Siro. Uh, and in the seventh minute, Milan would be awarded a penalty. Um, R- Ricardo Rodriguez with the stupid stutter step penalty that I hate. Uh, I think that he didn't, he, he scored it though on Thursday against Ludo Gretz yeah, in the, yeah, in the Europa League. So, but I, I, I think four times out of five, when you do that, 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 that sort of penalty you miss, or at least it seems to feel that way. Uh, well, uh, Viviano <laughs> comes up with the save. Uh, so still nil nil at that point, but just a few minutes late, a few minutes later, Davide Calabria got free on the right hand side. And this happened. Arriva la sovrapposizione di Calabria, può pensare al cross, cross di prima, Bonaventura! E questa volta è buono, 1-0 Milan, al tredicesimo, Jack Bonaventura! Giacomo Bonaventura, and that was the Legacy A sound. I actually uh, uh, went on YouTube and checked out the uh, Crudelli uh, video when it happened, and uh, <laughs> so uh, he, uh, he, just about, he just about lost it. Never uh, gets that- old with him. No, it never gets old. Never. He, so, yep, that gave Milan the lead. They thought they doubled their lead shortly before halftime. A drawn-up set piece 
where the ball was played down the left-hand side to Hakan Chalanolu. He puts the ball across where Leonardo Benucci thinks that he has given Milan a second goal, uh, but VAR goes back, reviews it, and uh, they found Bonucci to be in an offside position. This is one that VAR got right. Um, they've gotten a few things wrong throughout the season, which we've t- which we've talked about many times on this pod. But this is one that they did get right. Uh, second half, uh, Richard. Th- this was all Milan, and they still almost dropped it. Yeah, Sampdoria literally did nothing for ninety minutes and still almost tied the game. <laughs> um, I, I was I was thinking I was like, we need another goal because. They're going to get one opportunity. They're going to score, knowing knowing our luck, and they almost did almost happen with uh, I think it was Caprari with the shot at the end of the game. But yeah, yes, um, Milan looked so well mm-hmm. they, defensively. They were shutting them down, and so everything was looking good except for that second goal. I mean, it was a good call by VAR on that on that offside play by Bonucci, but uh, still, you you wanted to see a second goal and that that second that that clinical finishing is still lacking there. Um, the, the chances are there now, but. Uh, with Chalhanalu on the left and, and Suzo on the right, uh, with Cotrone, they're getting their chances, but they still need to get the goals in because uh, it was too close for comfort. Greg, uh, Hakan Chalhanalu, um, all of a sudden, uh, just very inspiring over these last few weeks and very key to Milan's resurgence. Yeah, anyone who followed him in the Bundesliga would know that Hakan Chalhanalu, when he was in, when he was on form, was was always a difference maker in the final third, but his problem was stringing in a consistent run of games together that saw him make the difference, that saw him make an impact in the final third on a consistent basis. Uh, in recent weeks, especially under Gattuso, it seems that he's finally justifying the number 10 on his jersey, finally beginning to dictate tempo in the final third, and is finally starting to put his teammates in dangerous positions. As you guys mentioned, you had, then you got Patrick Cutrone, uh, the informed striker, who's making most of these chances, uh, so all in all, it's looking very good for Milan. But what impressed me the most about Gattuso's Milan is uh, the partnership of Bonucci and Romagnoli. We're talking about a team yeah. who over the past month, uh, over the past month, have played Inter, uh, Icardi's Inter kept a clean sheet, Immobile's Lazio kept a clean sheet. Uh, today they played Fabio Qualerella, who's having the season of his life. Another, another one of the league's leading goal scorers kept another clean sheet. So uh, Milan, who would have thought that Gattuso would turn it around this quickly? I did. I wrote about it. <laughs> well, not, this, not this, not this, not this quickly, but, but, I thought that he could get it. He had a schedule in front of him where I thought he would be able to turn it around right away. Um, you mm-hmm. know, when starting with that Benevento game, which, which obviously didn't work out and that, <laughs> wow. you know, I guess, uh, get worse before you get, get, get worse before you get right. Uh, is mm-hmm. is really the 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 order of it? And uh, uh, Richard, the concern that I had going in was Frank Kessie being suspended. Somebody that could have, you know, the engine room kind of guy that uh, could diffuse the likes of a uh, yeah. of, of a Torreira, um, you know, and that that concerned me. But uh, who did the uh, job? I think we need to give props to Ricardo Montalivo. Yeah, Frank. He he, he filled in for, he filled in Frank Kessie's position exactly. I mean, they didn't change the lineup except they left you know him swapped him for Kessie, and he did the job admirably. I mean, very well. Montalivo last two weeks, last week, last week with the beautiful assist for Barini for that third goal, and then this happened. Um, he he's I think that 
relieving himself of the captain's armband uh, changed his game. He didn't have the pressure that he had before. Um, and, and with under Gattuso now, he's actually playing so much better, and he's looking like a good player, a good backup player to, to have on the pitch and or occasional starts like he did today. Um, he definitely gets the props in this one. Uh, he, his hard work ethic, uh, he helped Abelia definitely immensely, and he made those runs that uh, Kessie has been doing it as of late. So uh, good substitution, good good work for him. Yep, indeed. Uh, uh, you know, so credit to Montalivo, put in a very good, uh, very good performance. Greg for Sampdoria, um, you know, this is a little bit of a setback. They had been enjoying a nice little spell of results here. Uh, they get to host Udinese coming up. They they go to Atalanta. Um, mm-hmm. They go to Crotone, who that's not as easy as it sounds. And then uh, hosting Inter, uh, you know, over their next four games. Um, and then, uh, yeah, did, can they can they dust themselves off and, and get on another run here? That's a, that's a very difficult run of games considering Massimo Odusudinez is in form. Uh, that's 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 their next game. Uh, but then you look at what Giampaolo said in the pre-match press conference before this Milan game, and to me, it, it highlights exactly what this club is striving striving for. All he what he basically said is that. Despite any results that they may or may not get over the next few weeks, but he was alluding to the Milan game in particular, they have to play without betraying uh, their principles. Even if they slip up, progress is being made. Yes, it wasn't their best performance today, but what Sampdoria and Giampaolo are trying to achieve here is to really instill a brand of football, a positive brand of football at the club, regardless of which players are there. Uh, say they sell Dennis Pratt in the summer, say they sell Lucas Torreira in the summer, they'll just plug in you guys and like and play, put them in the system. Uh, so, yes, they may not get the results in the coming weeks, and they haven't played their best football this season. Uh, yes, they may have peaked against Juve, but regardless, I don't think it really matters in the grand scheme of things. I think they'll still find a way to claw themselves into Europa League football, into contention for a spot towards the end of the season. So, all in all, uh, I, th- I think this the Blue Chirchiati are a side on the right path. And I think this is a kind of a, you know a second from what happened last year. Last year they lost you know they lost Patrick Schick and they lost a bunch of guys. Everyone thought oh Sampdoria is <laughs> going to be down this year, but nope. They come back to plug in new guys and they continue on progressing up the table. And like you said, if they do lose any more guys, they just, they just plug in the next guy. And then they're kind of like Atalanta in that way. They lose players and just keep plugging them in and keep going, and keep progressing. And you got to like that from uh, Giampaolo, absolutely. And and just as a club <laughs> and how they're run, they have found a way to just find players for for good prices and be able to plug them in. Uh, and, and, and carbon copies of the guys who left. I mean, uh, you know, Bruno Fernandes leaves for Sporting Lisbon. In comes Gaston Ramirez, and he's been admirable this season. Uh, Patrick Schick leaves, and the, the responsibilities have been divided between, you know, Duvan Zapata, Fabio Cuellarella. Uh, you know, uh, Caprari has popped up, uh, you know, in some games. So, you know, they have not missed, uh, you know, some of the stuff that Schick has done. So, yeah, to your to your guys' point, um, they've got a good system in place. They've got a good team in place. Uh, they'll probably have more departures in the summer, and they're going to find more gems to, to to come in and keep this thing going. And I think Jim Paolo is he's one of those where he was pretty well traveled as a manager until he uh, to got, got to a destination mm-hmm. here at Sampdoria, and he's making the most of this opportunity. So um, I, you know, I think that they're still going to be very difficult to try to unseat. Uh, you know, in the top six, I think that. Uh, you know, they've got a tough stretch of games here coming up, but uh, uh, they're in it just as much as everybody else at this point. So um, that was Milan Sampdoria. Those were the two marquee games of the weekend. Let's get to the rest of Match Week 25.
man, Richard, we are moving right along this week. Good. I like it. Zipping on. Zipping on. Zipping on. Well, the fun began uh, on Saturday, um, you know, mid-afternoon in Italy. Uh, Udinese taking on Roma. The uh, schedule shifting just a little bit so that Roma could get this game in and then make their trip to the Ukraine to take on Shakhtar in the Champions League this week. Um, and uh, a, a Roma team that, uh, Richard, what did I say right after the transfer window shut? Watch out for this Roma team. I think that yeah. now that the distraction is over, Jack was still there. They're going to go on a run. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are going on a run. Uh, another impressive performance, although Udinese matched them in possession and tried to create some chances. This was a little bit tougher for them uh, than what they dealt with going to Hellas Verona and then hosting Benevento. But in the 70th minute, in form Chenji's Under. Has this guy figured it out or what? Uh, he puts the Gialorossi in front uh, on 70 minutes, and then it was Diego Perotti sealing it in the 90th on a wonderful pass um, from uh, newly quaffed uh, and redly quaffed uh, Raja Nangalan. Um, what an ugly color. Yeah. Did you see that shit? <laughs> Red Mohawk. Um, I don't know about that. This, this, this partying and this, this, this eccentric lifestyle and whatever he does is getting to his head. Um, literally too. Uh, but anyway, nonetheless, it was a, it, it hasn't taken away from his footballing skills. Great pass to find Perotti two nil to Roma. Um, uh, Greg, uh, this is the team. If right now we say that some, it, it's a bridge too far for Sampdoria and Milan to try to catch a top four spot, and we're talking about Roma, Inter, and Lazio. Clearly, Roma is going to be safe as this as this plays out. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. Uh, as you mentioned, during the January transfer window, the, the, the club were a bit in disarray with rumors of Emerson and Deco leaving. Almost every other day, with obviously the Brazilian, the Italo Brazilian ended up leaving. Uh, Zeko stayed, as you mentioned, which has helped. But uh, how about Under? This player has four goals in his last three games, just keeps scoring, keeps finding the back of the net. But more than anything, he just keeps having an impact on the game outside of the score sheet. Uh, right now, they do look like the, the most likely to clinch top four out of uh, Inter and Lazio. Uh, Inter under Spalletti in recent times have struggled, mainly in front of the goal. I'm sure we'll get to that in a bit uh, with their loss to Genoa. Uh, Lazio, Roma's rivals, they have had a fantastic season under Inzaghi. They just go from strength to strength. But at the same, at the end of the day, I think Roma have just a bit more experience in them at, at this stage in the season and have a bit more quality in their side to secure top four. Uh, and I could, I do foresee uh, Roma keeping on with their good form and keeping on with this run, even though they, they, I think they host Napoli in a few weeks' time. Uh, Richard, that man Chen Jizunda, where did this come from? Uh, from Turkey, uh, yeah, no. Uh, for a while, for a while, we thought Chalhanalu would be the best uh, Turkish player in the in the Serie A, and then now this Unders come out and, and give him a run for his money. I mean, like like Greg said, four goals in three games. Uh, he's he's adapted to Serie A very quickly, and especially in the last month. I don't know if. Uh, it's something he picked up from uh, maybe Totti, who knows? But yeah, he picked up the game so quick now, and he's taking the game to the opponents now, as opposed to just you know being a passerby. He's actually going after plays. That are just, sometimes he takes shots. You know, he he has a confidence now, and you see guys sometimes when he misses the shots, guys are like, why don't you pass it to me? But he has a confidence that you want in an attacking midfielder, and good for him because um, you know I thought they were going to be missing uh, Mo Salah this year, and. He's kind of like jumped into that role. They thought maybe Gregoire Defrel or or somebody else could fill in there, but uh, Under man, he's doing he's doing wonders right now. And if he keeps this up, uh, that'll only be good good news for them when they go into the Champions League. Yeah, and uh, you know, for Udinese, 
Um, you know, for, for a team that's pretty much consolidated to where they are and probably going to just nick a top half finish here uh, under Massimo Auto, they're definitely improved uh, under his guidance. But it's also good to see that they're that they're putting up fights and trying to still maybe figure out how to be spoilers. They created some chances in this game and they made it a little uncomfortable for Roma. Uh, you know, but in the end, uh, Eusebio Di Francesco's men come through and get the three points. Uh, also on uh, Saturday, uh, we had Chievo and Cagliari in what could be, when uh, we look back uh, on this Serie A season, when it's all said and done, a relegation six-pointer. Uh, Chievo reeling, uh, if you've been listening to this podcast, in a bit of really in a free fall and just struggling for anything. A Cagliari team that um, you know have been up and down and, 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 and certainly trying to uh, fight off uh, relegation in their own right, uh, maybe in a little bit more comfortable position than Kievo was going into this game. So Cagliari had a chance to maybe consolidate their position here with a win. Kievo desperately needing something. Um, and this game was uh, quiet and goalless. Uh, and uh, in the 74th minute, Emanuele Giaccarini with a wonderful free kick uh, to put the Flying Donkeys in front. And then two minutes later, Richard's boy, uh, Bobby English, uh, getting Kievo up. <laughs> 2-0, Roberto Inglese. Yes, um, yes, Cagliari would pull one back through Leonardo Pavoletti, who did score. I thought he'd have a bigger game than this. Um, but uh, Chievo win 2-1. Richard, uh, sigh of relief here for Chievo, or is this just a Band-Aid? I think it's a Band-Aid. I mean, right now I'm sure I think it's a sigh of relief because you hate to see a team with that kind of quality on, on, the, on paper uh, struggle so mightily. Um, we both thought that Moran would be lost his, lost a job by, by, by Monday and he didn't. So, um, yeah, I think it's just a band-aid. I, you know, maybe they just got caught at the wrong time, but, um, Kievo, they're, they, they still need, you know, they, they still have to figure it out. Um, the goals by, you know, Inglese, which was a beautiful goal, by the way. Um, great, great work done by him and, and Giacarini. They were nice, but mm-hmm. I, I think they're not going to be able to, uh, to hold this up. It's just a band-aid and I, I still see the free fall happening. Hmm. What do you, uh, Greg? Your thoughts on Kievo? Um, massive three points for them, considering their form. But uh, uh, I, I, I'm still not convinced. I still think the 25 points in the 15th, uh, 15th in the table flatters mm-hmm. them. I, I do agree that the, their position in the table flatters them, and they have been playing terribly in recent times. But I think, despite uh, the recent struggle, despite Maran's inability to turn it around for them, they are. What they have going for them is that there are currently three worse teams than them in Serie A <laughs> between yeah. Spal, Verona, and Benevento. So I, I do think that while relegation should be a concern for the Flying Dockies, they always manage a way to, f- to f- keep themselves safe and stay in Serie A f- to fight another year. Uh, I don't think they're going to get relegated this year. I do think at some point it's just going to click for them. They're going to pick up uh, two, quick, two quick wins and just like that they're out of the dogfight that is this year's relegation battle. Uh, other than that, it was nice to see Giaccherini finally uh, get some consistent minutes after his uh, tenure at Napoli. He scored, got on the score sheet. Roberto Inglese, this is a guy that will be crucial for Chievo uh, in the closing parts of the season. And he's continued to score. Uh, as a whole, though, as you mentioned, yes, I, I, as a whole, I do agree. The 15th does flatter them. And at Fiorentina is next for them. And then they host Sassuolo. They travel to Hellas Verona. And then, oh boy. At Milan, then hosting Sampdoria, then at Napoli, then hosting Torino, uh, and uh, before going to Spal, hosting Inter, and then going to Roma. Uh, between now and April 29th, 
which is that the which is that game at the Olimpico against Roma. I just don't know where mm-hmm. they're going to get their points here. Sassuolo and Verona, they're going to have to come up and they're going to have to pop up and yeah. win games here. And going to Spal is not going to be easy for them. Um, so it is going to be a challenge. Uh, Richard Cagliari here, does this is it is it time to sweat with this defeat? Yeah, I mean the the goalkeeping by Cranio, who's been pretty good this season, was really suspect in this game. He had two goal line clearances that were very close to going over, but just because of his poor positioning by him. Uh, uh, Cagliari overall, I just, I don't know. I, I thought they were safe this season, but they're, they're starting to play a little leaky as of late. And, um, hopefully they can get out of this and, and, and keep playing well. Cause, uh, frankly, um, Diego Lopez and the work that they've done to keep them, get them out of the relegation fight is, uh, is commendable. And Greg, as mm-hmm. far as Cagliari is concerned, next three games, hosting Napoli, uh, at Inform Genoa and then hosting Lazio, uh, Oof. Zero. I I don't see I don't see a point out of any of those games. I think if they're lucky, they're going to finish that three game stretch with a, a single point. But that's if they're lucky. What I do appreciate about <laughs> Ka- what I do appreciate about Kaliti, however, is that despite their their struggles, they do try and play a an offensive brand of football. They tr- do try and play a possession based style. So at least they've got that going for them. They're fun to watch compared to the other relegation battlers. Uh, but that doesn't exactly translate into points. That doesn't exactly translate into wins, as we have seen in recent times. But like Kev on 25 points, for now, they're relatively safe. That being said, if Crotone starts picking up a few wins, Elas Verona starts winning against some teams around them, uh, Benevento picked up their third win this year. Yes, it's a long shot, but you never know with the Italian league. They might pull off the great escape. Uh, so all in all, Kylity don't have to sweat just yet, but I, I do believe in three weeks' time after that run of games, they're going to be way closer to the relegation zone than they are today. Yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, fun fact, and uh, Richard, I got a fun fact this time. Uh, oh, okay. I'm ready for <laughs> this. Giacarini, uh, Giacarini, uh, Inglese, and Pavoletti all among the goals, either uh, currently owned by Napoli <laughs> or uh, former Napoli guys all in the same game. Bravo, bravo. I like that set. I got to look and see when the last time that might have happened. Uh, so, uh, so an interesting, just an interesting one there. So that actually just popped into my head when I looked at the screen. So, um, but uh, rounding out Saturday night, Genoa and Inter. We talked about it last week on the Celia sit down, Greg, that uh, playing Genoa these days is basically like sitting in the dentist chair. You're not going to like it. It's going to be the worst 90 minutes. It's going to be the worst 90 minutes of your life. Um, just <laughs> with the way Balladini sets, sets that team up. Uh, I mean, and he, and, and really he sets the team up to the strengths of the team. He has a under the radar, great goalkeeper in Mattia Perrin. He's got some reasonably good defenders. Diego Luxalt playing really well. Oscar Hilliamar coming back from his loan spell at Celtic has, has given them something. Um, and they get just enough from their forwards. So they host an inter team that, you know, found a way to win, uh, uh, last weekend, uh, and, and are going into this game without Mauro Icardi and Ivan Perisic. Uh, Jan Karamo impressed in last week's win. Uh, you still had Candreva out there. You still had Cancelo out there. Uh, you had Ader at center forward, which was a problem, uh, even though he had scored in back-to-back games. So enough quality mm-hmm. there for Spalletti to, to be able to go to the, uh, you know, to go to the, uh, uh, to the Marassi and get a result. Uh, but, uh, I mean, the uh, opening goal of this game just before halftime has really just summed up Inter's last six weeks. Um, everybody saw it. I think that uh, Skinner tried to clear it. He cleared it off of Andrea Ranocchia and into their own net. Uh, that 
put Genoa up 1-0 before halftime. Uh, second goal was off of a uh, corner kick. Uh, the ball got uh, deflected only as far as Diego Luxalt, who gets an assist, even though it was an attempted shot that was controlled by Korn, Goran Pondev and Cooley finished. So the two former Inter guys uh, teaming up for the second goal. So you got the Kievo-Cagliari game where Napoli people were all involved in the goals here and the Genoa Inter game where Inter people were all involved in the goals here. Um, this is a pattern. <laughs> <laughs> um, it certainly is. But not, not in Inter's favor. I'm sure they would want it the other way. <laughs> how, how much restraint, Greg, do you have to show to be a player on Genoa to have to play that kind of football? Um, I mean, at this point, you buy into it because it's winning. I think they have no choice but to buy into it because before Ballardini took over, they were in 18th place. They had nothing. They only had six points in 12 games. Uh, so basically, any alternative to that kind of football, to that kind of losing football, is better. No, no player wants to lose week in week out. No player wants to get battered week in week out. So then Ballardini comes and he proposes a more pragmatic system, which for many players is easier to just sit back, uh, defend than to actually go beyond themselves and attack and expose their defense and they're a wonderful goalkeeper by, by default. So for them, now that he's taken over, uh, he has, he's got 24 points in 13 games. So despite how hard it is to play, despite not wanting to exactly buy into this brand of football because it's not exactly the most entertaining, it's not the funnest to play for any player, especially offensive ones, it is effective. It will continue to be effective. And it has gotten them out of the relegation dogfight and comfortably into mid-table. So having said all that, Yes, it's kind of hard for these players, uh, but what's the alternative? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You could be in a relegation fight and still be playing for Ivan Juric. Uh, Richard, I yeah. think that the I think I got a good comparison here for Genoa. Um, do you remember the Simpsons episode where Homer gets into boxing and all he does is just take the other guy's punches yeah. Yeah. the entire time and just yeah. keeps getting punched and keeps getting punched, and then he throws one sucker punch and he wins by KO. Pretty much what we're seeing with Genoa, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but uh, Inter, I mean, I, why are they trying to play the same way? I mean, I get it if Moro Icardi was your center forward. And you can play wide and you can pump in crosses because he'll make all the, the right runs in the box. Inter can't do that. First of all, he's about five inches, five inches above ground. Um, and secondly, <laughs> he's terrible. Uh, but... <laughs> You know, it's don't you try to shift things a little bit based on who you're working with? I mean, is, is Spalletti guilty of being a little stubborn here, Richard? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's always been guilty of being stubborn. Uh, managers nowadays, at least the younger ones coming up, they realize, and even, I mean, especially the good managers, they realize when they play opponents, they have to change it based on who they're playing sometimes. Yeah, uh, you know, you want to play a certain way, you have uh, principles that you want to instill, but. You know, depending on who your opponent is, you may have to shift it. You may have to play more defensive, maybe to play more attacking, uh, maybe to change your, your lineup a little bit. Uh, Spalletti just seems to do, I have, this is how I want to play, and I'm going to play it no matter what. And you're going to like it. And it doesn't always get the results they need because teams, uh, they pick up on nuances that other teams do. Um, you're, just because you're good at one thing doesn't mean someone's not going to figure out a way to stop you. Everyone, There's a way to stop every team. So uh, when teams pick up on that and Spalletti doesn't change, it, it affects Inter or, you know, in the past, Roma. So um, he needs to maybe not be as stubborn. I, 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 he's totally guilty of being stubborn. Greg, Inter uh, get a breather here hosting Benevento uh, in their next game, but then they have the Derby uh, on March 4th. Then they host Napoli. Then they go to Sampdoria. 
I, I got to think, I mean, they'll, they'll probably win the game against Penavento, but the three games after that, uh, right now, I, I think the Simeone talk is at a whisper, but I think it's going to get louder here in the next couple of weeks. I, I, to me, I think this Inter collapse was frankly inevitable, starting from uh, sure. the, the, Mercato they, the, the Mercato they had, especially the January one, where they needed to address their center back depth. They probably needed another winger. Uh, and they needed to ship some of the deadwood out and, re- and really revitalize that midfield. So already Spalletti, while he is stubborn, while he is trying to fit square pieces in circle, hole, in, circle in circle, it's not entirely his fault here because of the pieces he has to deal with. Anytime you got to field Andrea Ranocchia uh, by, by no choice Edder, of your own, you're, uh, dead, you're doomed to fail, you're destined to fail. Spalletti remains one of Italy's best, one of Ita- the Italian league's best managers, as we saw yeah. at the first part of the season. Um, yes, he'll get a win against Benevento, but again, we'll see the shortcomings of their Mercato re- come to bear against Napoli and in, in, in the other games as well, despite how good they started the season. Milan Skriniar is a fantastic young defender, had, was having one of the best seasons of any centre-back in the league this year. But when you gotta, but then when your centre-back partnership is constantly changing, when Miranda goes out injured, when Miranda suspended and you have to play next to the former body man, Andrea Ranocchia, it's not going to look good for you. Also, they didn't really address their fullback positions. Yes, you had a guy like Ambrosio overperforming at the beginning of the season, but it was only a matter of time uh, before he regressed to the norm. So all in all, I do agree that Spalletti could be better. I do think that Inter will continue to spiral downwards on the table as teams like Lazio, Milan trend upwards. Uh, but again, they really it, it all starts from the Mercato. Who's more in jeopardy of, 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 you know, we talked about Roma going to be relatively safe here. Uh, who's more in jeopardy to you, Inter or Lazio? Uh, I, I believe that Inter are going to fall out of the top four, and I, I do think Lazio will claim that spot. I, if I have to pick uh, either side, if it wasn't for Mauro Icardi, I would pick Lazio's side nine times out of ten. You got Milinkovic Savic, you got Luis Alberto up there, you got Immobile, the defense with De Vrij. Uh, in Bastos is more solid. Strakosha and goal is a fantastic young keeper. So I do think Lazio under Inzaghi will continue to play well, will continue to upset some of Italy's top clubs, and will find themselves in, to- in the top four spot at the end of the season. Uh, obviously, a lot could change in the coming. There's, like, there's still a lot of calcio to be played here. But judging from what I've seen in recent weeks, I, I think Inter will find themselves out of top four and possibly in the sixth spot by the end of the season. Mm. Yeah, I, it's uh, it, it could be, uh, it could even fall even further than that. You never do, you never know. So, uh, well, let's move into Sunday's game. We already talked about uh, the Derby della Male. We talked about the Milan Samp game. Let's get to the rest of what happened on Sunday, starting with Benevento and Crotone. Another relegation six pointer. Is it? Is it not? Is Benevento sealed their fate? Who knows? Uh, Crotone would open in the eleventh minute to Giovanni Cacciata. Uh, Sandro gets his first Benevento goal in the 37th minute to equalize. Nicolas Viola with one of the goals of the weekend uh, in the 65th minute to put the Witches ahead. And then it was Ahmad Ben Ali equalizing for Cartoni, making it 2-2. It looked like it was going to be honors even until the 89th minute. Cheek Diabate for Benevento getting the home side all three points. Uh, Richard, they, they, they can't, can they? Uh, I think it's it's still a bridge too far. They can. They'll make it interesting, though. They're going to get more points than anybody thought they are going to get this season. But uh, I think it's still way too far for them. And, uh, you know, because we won't spend a whole lot of time on this one, uh, Greg Crotone, 
another team that's just right now got enough points and are fortunate that the three behind them are just worse than them. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't think Crotone are exactly safe. Yes, they're on 21 points, only four less than Kevo and Kyleri, who I brandished as safe. Uh, but Crotone, there's something about them that I do think uh, once of the Verona side uh, gets the three points, they're right in that dogfight. They're, they're just basically one game away, one loss away or one win away from the rivals from being dragged right into that relegation trap door. So I think Crotone have to be worried about where they stand right now. Last year, they did pull the great escape. This year, I don't think Benevento will do it. They only have three wins in 25 games. What would it say about the league if they somehow manage their way out of this one? Yeah. Um, but um, no, I think Rotone, they do have some interesting players. Ben Ali scoring his first uh, Serie A goal for them. He is at Pescara. He really impressed me, so I was surprised to see him take this long to find the back of the net again. Uh, they do have some interesting players, and that's even have Cordas, who has had a decent year for them. They should have enough to stay up because, again, the three teams under them have had worse years, have worse rosters as a whole. Uh, but uh, the, I feel like it's a completely different Italian game from rounds 31 to 38. Kind of like two different seasons where the relegation battle takes a new shape. And I expect them to be dragged into it completely. Okay. It's uh, certainly going to be interesting. Let's see, if they can, uh, let's see if they can sweat it out. Moving on, uh, uh, Bologna and Sassuolo. Um, w- because it's Serie A, we have to talk about it. Uh, so, uh, and uh, it was the Rosso Blue that would open the scoring through Andrea Poli in the 12th minute. Uh, Kuma Babakar getting his first Nero Verdi goal in the 38th minute won't get him much easier than that. It was a uh, kind of a deflection, and he was just sitting right in front of the goal and uh, didn't have a whole lot that he had to do. This was heading to a draw until the 88th minute where Eric Pulgar... Uh, would pull Bologna ahead and get them all three points. Um, uh, Greg, uh, you know, much like Crotone, Sassuolo now in a bit of a, uh, you know, enjoyed a nice little start under Giuseppe Iacchini, but it looks like the novelty's wearing off with him. Yeah, I'm not I'm not exactly a fan of what Sassuolo did in the in any of their Mercatos. Although I do rate Kuma Babakar highly. I do think he needed a change of scenery to really kick on again. He did get the goal in this game. Sassuolo, though, uh, they're, they're not exactly playing the best football. Berardi has struggled this season. He has been overshadowed by uh, by Matteo Politano. So this is a side that will need to start finding a way to win games again. We'll need to go back to their offensive brand of football, their 4-3-3, their high-powered offense. But I just don't think they have the pieces anymore to do this. So it will be difficult for them. Uh, and maybe they, they, they might have to stray away from their identity a bit here to really get things done. Uh, a lot of their midfielders are Italian journeymen who ha- are who are kind of past it. So if they're going to want to do some damage, they're going to want to stay in steady out long term. They're going to really have to alter uh, their system here and their way of doing things. Eduardo Goldanaga also uh, getting a second yellow and sent off just two minutes before the Pulgar winner. Um, you know, Richard... Uh, you know, this is starting to become what we're going to see with Bologna here, beating the teams that they should beat uh, and then just having the struggles with the teams that are better than them. Yeah, and they're a mid-table team. Uh, that's uh, that's what we're, we thought that was going to happen. Uh, they started out the season very well, um, but they uh, they started, like, slipping down the table. Now they're now they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, beat the teams below you and, and try to make it interesting against the teams above you. Um, they're going to be a mid-table team at the end of this, and uh, we'll probably see them around 11th place or so. Mm. Um, Napoli and Spal. Uh, so uh, Juventus uh, 
Open Sunday with the win to move top of the table. Napoli with a win would go back to the top of the table. Uh, playing a small team that just came off a 4-0 spanking at the hands of Milan. Uh, would they get back to being that pesky little team uh, that we've kind of gotten acclimated with here throughout the season? Uh, they would to an extent. Uh, Napoli did win this game 1-0. It was a goal from Alan in the sixth minute. A nice little piece of combination play. Uh, I saw a little – I saw – I saw much of this game, Richard. Uh, when Alain scored that goal, I thought, boy, here we go again for Spall. It was going to be a Napoli just uh, runaway here. But um, uh, uh, getting a, uh, uh, you know, getting just one goal out of it, uh, but out shooting Spall 17 to 2, uh, eight shots on target. So this really could have been, this really could have been destruction. So uh, I think the result, uh, you know, flatter spall uh yeah, you know much more yeah. than you can say you're disappointed in napoli only getting one yeah uh maybe some of it had to do with uh spall getting back to their their spunky ways and and trying to fight it out but when when alan scored that goal i mean it's a beautiful goal by the way that three players uh combining there for that goal um i thought they were going to go on a route and they didn't uh they had their chances um spall they're just uh they they're lucky that it was only one nothing for let's put it that way they've gotten blown out in the last few weeks whatever or so but I for sure this thought this one was going to be like a, a six goal uh, route, but luckily for them that didn't happen. But still, it's a loss is a loss. Um, Napoli Napoli just uh, outpla- outclassed them. That's plain and simple. Uh, Greg, uh, we spoke about uh, you know on the uh, I'm I'm going to be on the uh, Banter FC podcast this week, and we talked about mm-hmm. now Napoli will not have the European distraction anymore after they'll eventually be ousted from the Europa League, but Juventus might still be in the Champions League with the fixture pileup. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't agree that just because Napoli's out of the Europa League and all they have left to focus on is the uh, Scudetto, that it's going to be clear sailing for them because of, because Juventus you know, has been so experienced in dealing with multiple fixtures deep into the season. Um, is the fact that does it is it still likely that the fact that Saudi has really only gone to thirteen or fourteen players at a time in these games going to hurt him in the end? Look, I do think that Napoli not getting out of all the European competitions will help them because preparing for one game a week is much easier than preparing for two games a week and the fixture pileup is reduced, yes. But what Juve really have going for him, like you mentioned, is their pedigree with dealing with this fixture pileup, is their squad depth where you see a guy like Bernardeschi go down and Douglas Costa slides in. A guy like Higuaín went down against Torino. They just put Douglas Costa, they, they put Douglas Costa as the false nine, Bernardeschi on, right, on the right wing. Even Alexandro, our left back, played left wing and scored the winning goal. Whereas you look at Napoli and you do mention Sari, he doesn't exactly rotate, which is the biggest knock on his managerial career thus far. He doesn't like to trust more than 13 or 14 of his players. Uh, a lot of players that have left the club in recent years, namely uh, Giaccherini and Pavoletti, have alluded to this and, and have said that it will cost Napoli in the long run. Uh, that being said, if Napoli are, remain healthy and do not pick up any injuries, it shouldn't be a problem. Yes, that front three has played a lot of minutes since the beginning of the season. I remember in, uh, it was in December, yes, it was in December that uh, Napoli's front three had played something like 92% of all minutes possible to the side, which is frankly ridiculous and cannot be maintained. So beyond this year, 
if Napoli do manage to win the Scudetto playing with 13 or 14 players, I don't think that's sustainable long-term. It might get the job done this year, but in the long run, Sadi's going to have to start trusting new guys. Sadi's going to have to blood in Unas more, Marco Roj, another talented player who hasn't seen much of the field. Amadou Diawara has fallen down in the pecking order. Another great yeah. uh, regista that should be that should be playing more, frankly, and could get the job done against the likes of Spal, against the, the mid-table sides, and even he's even played in the Champions League and done well. So I find it kind of kind of stupid on Sadi's and not to play this guy and give Jorginho a rest when needed. Uh, but as you mentioned, Juve's depth and pedigree should give him the uh, the advantage in the run-in for the Scudetto. But at the end of the day. If they're only preparing for one game a week, uh, Napoli should be fine in theory. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's it's going to be an interesting thing as we look at this title race here. Going, I mean, it will go. To me, it's going to go all the way down to match week thirty-eight, and obviously, what happens at the J when those two get together, uh, I believe in mm-hmm. April, uh, is going to be very telling in terms of how this picture plays out. Uh, but I don't, I don't necessarily, and I, and I answer this, I, I answer this, I don't necessarily think that just because they're out of the Europa League means that this is going to be easier for them because it is Juventus and, um, you know, Juve have been there and done that and have dealt with, you know, winning doubles, uh, you know, and, yeah. and, and having to deal with multiple fixtures. And, you know, you know, Saudi's rotating 13 or 14 players, but Allegri's rotating 19 or 20 players. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and with a system that is, he, like we said earlier, he's plugging people in and getting the same results. So... Uh, you know, so just an interesting one there, but yeah, just uh, Napoli ran riot except for the except for the in the uh, goal department they win one nil over Spal, uh, and then rounding out the games that were played, Atalanta and Fiorentina. Um, uh, Fiorentina would actually go ahead in the uh, 16th minute through Milan Badele, Uh and uh, Jose Palomino might have had a chance at recovering to uh, to save that ball off the line if he wasn't so interested in hugging the goalpost. I, it was just one of those where I think he was just trying to recover, uh, you know, to where I, I can't remember the player that was making that run. And then he was trying to stop his run and he just grabbed the goalpost and it didn't get back in time. It was just weird if you go back and look. at that. <laughs> But anyway, um, Andrea Pitania on a set piece equalized uh, in, you know, in stoppage time in the first half. And it was honors even at one goal apiece. Uh Richard, uh, looking at uh, uh, Atalanta's lineup uh, and looking at uh, there was some there was some rotation here. Gasparini clearly has an eye on that second leg against Dortmund. Yeah, yeah, and that's good because uh, they 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 did very well against them in in the first leg, two uh, two away, which is a fantastic score to get uh, against Dortmund. It definitely opened some eyes around around Europe. I mean, everyone in Italy knows about Atalanta, but now the rest of people in Europe know. Uh, so definitely, he's resting up for that. Um, uh, the only thing though in the game is that they couldn't take advantage with uh, Nikola Milinkovic with two silly yellow cards within yeah. a minute. Uh, get a red card mm-hmm. and take advantage of it for the last five minutes of the game. But uh, Atalanta still did well, I thought. Uh, it's, it's a good point. It's better than losing, you know, obviously. Um, but, yeah, they got their eyes set for uh, Dortmund. And um, here's hoping that Serie A can, uh, can do us a favor and let Atalanta get a win there. Yeah. Um, Greg, Fiorentina uh, sitting in 11th, 32 points. Um, over, I mean, considering all of the departures, considering Stefano Pioli step, stepping in, taking over, mm-hmm. to talk last summer about the Della Valleys, maybe putting Fiorentina up for sale, you know, and kind of everything going on with that club uh, and with all of the changeover, 
you know, looking at where they're at, uh, overachieving, underachieving, or are, are they just about where they should be? Uh, honestly, I think they're just about where they should be. This is a side that was always going to be uh, a transitional uh, a transitional year, considering the departures of Bernardeschi. I think it was always going to be some a year that Viola fans were going to have to content themselves with a mid-table finish. Uh, that being said, the signings, the acquisitions of Jordan Veretu, uh, of another good player from the Ligue 1, has helped them a lot in the yeah. final third. Then you look at the, the emergence of Federico Chiesa, who continues to impress week in, week out. Uh, so all in all, despite the departures, despite Stefano Pioli coming in, who really, more than anything, he's a stopgap manager. He could steady the ship, but not not much more than that, really. They're going to have to wait until next year to actually push on for European contention again. I know it's hard for Viola fans, as they're always used to being in and around the European spots. Uh, but frankly, the roster isn't much better than that. You know, taking a step back before they take some steps forward, so... Uh, yep. You know, uh, you know, certainly the case with uh, Fiorentina. Uh, as of this recording, we recorded on a Sunday night, uh, actually early Monday morning. Where, uh, where uh, not not early Monday morning, but where Greg is. So uh, we do have a, a Monday night game with Lazio and Verona. Lazio really struggling. Um, Simone Inzaghi even saying after the defeat at home against Genoa that they were tired. Um, you know, got blasted by Napoli, uh, went out to uh, Bucharest and lost 1-0 uh, in the first leg of the Europa League. You have a Verona team that um, are sitting in 19th, and it's 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 there for them to make a move, but they can't seem to make that move. They, uh, they, they lose to 10-man Roma. They lose to Sampdoria. This was after blowing out Fiorentina uh, 4-1. Um, so... <sighs> You know, if the game was played on paper, Richard, uh, Lazio walk walk away with this one. But considering Lazio's struggles, I think they're just happy to get. I think they're just happy to get three points any way they can get it in this game. I don't think this is going to be a overwhelming performance by Lazio standards under Inzaghi. Yeah, no, I'm in agreement with you. Their confidence is a little bit low right now, and any kind of win is a good win for Lazio to get uh, end this skid and get back on the right way. Um, you know, it, they got plenty of guys on our team that need to get some goals. Uh, the question is, can they stop the goals? The Verona hasn't been that great of late, uh, but this is the perfect time to get the bounce back, if you will. Uh, so any kind of win will be good for them, and I, I think it's going to be a sloppy win. But uh, like I said, they'll take it. You think this will be a sloppy win, Greg? I, you know, it just I, I see like a, you know, a two nil, just kind of get through it, uh, get through it, and just uh, get ready for the uh, the return leg against uh, Seattle Bucharest. I think they have more than enough to beat Verona. The Verona side going forward, they don't really have much going for them. Yes, they have Roma Loni, uh, Daniele Verde, who has looked good. They have event, then they have the event Loni Moiskin, who has scored a few goals in recent times. But uh, the back, the center back partnership of De Vrij and Bastos should be enough. Uh, players like Marusic, Milinkovic Savic, uh, Parolo, they all have to step in, step up in the midfield because during this skid, during this poor run of form, the midfield, the midfield for me is what has basically held them back. Uh, obviously, Chiro Immobile has missed a few games, which hasn't helped. Uh, but all this being said, all this being considered, I do think they're going to get the three points. Something like a 1-0 win, maybe 2-1, nothing more than a one-goal uh, uh, a one goal difference between them and the relegation battlers. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm in agreement. I think Lazio, I'm, I'm going to go 2-0 to Lazio here. Richard, you want to put a score on this? Uh, what, what was your score, Len? I had 2-0. Uh, Greg's going okay. 2-1. I'm gonna go, ooh, yeah, one nothing or two one, a one goal victory. Okay, 
Yep, that's that sounds about right for what we think is going to happen. I think it's just it, it's a get right spot for Lazio considering the struggles here in recent weeks. So, um, but uh, you know, looking at the table, uh, you know, we're still seeing the same thing: Napoli and Juventus in a dogfight for the top. Uh, Roma, Inter, Lazio, um, you know, third, fourth, and fifth with two Champions League spots up for grabs. We think Roma are going to be safe as we go on. Um, Inter and Lazio are there for the taking. So the likes of a Sampdoria, the likes of a Milan, both sitting there on 41 points with 13 games remaining. Uh, any Greg, any hope for, for, for either Sampdoria or Milan uh, to, to, to nick one of these Champions League places in the end? I think I was actually looking at the table earlier and I was thinking to myself, do Milan have it in them to push on for top four? Because in the past, in the past two, three years, every time they've gone on on a decent run of form, they managed uh, to have a, to follow it up by a poor run of form. But with Gattuso, something seems to be different. Something in the air at Milanello seems to have changed with the former le- with the legend at the helm. So if any teams between Sampdoria and Milan are going to push for top four, I do think it's going to be the Rossoneri. Uh, again, Inter aren't looking great, as we mentioned just just in the preview of uh, Lazio Verona. Lazio have struggled, so if it's more of the same, Milan continue to pick up results. I'm sure they have. Uh, then there's you got the Derby della Madonnina coming up, so that that's a head-to-head clash. I'm sure Milan have another game against Lazio to, to play for. So there there will be moments where Milan could make up ground for the top four spot. So it's not out of the question. I don't think it's entirely likely that this year they finish in top four Milan just because of the start they had uh, under Vincenzo Montella. But mm-hmm. again, if it's if I have to pick, if I have to put my money on one of Milan or Sampdoria to finish top four, I'm going to have to go with Gattuso's man. Okay. Okay, Richard. Any Richard? Do you, do you agree with that? Is there is there enough in Milan's locker to try to make this uh, even more interesting with 13 names? I think they're a wild card considering the form that they're in. Yeah, uh, and it depends on what they do against the teams that are above them. Roma, Lazio, and Inter. Um, if they get favorable results against all three of them, if they somehow get three wins out of those out of those three games, which would be a miracle, um, anything is possible. And that would be a top four. But um, they would be the more likely of the two between them and Sampdoria to, to get the qualification. But it's going to be hard. I mean, you got a lot of a lot of the cards have to fall right. You know, Inter and Lazio. And um, Inter and Lazio are going to have to fall 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 apart, basically. Down the stretch, while Milan continues his fine form, they've been playing very well defensively. So it's possible with Milan that they can go on this run. But then you you have to depend on the other two to also stumble, and that's a, that's a, that's a that's a question mark because those two teams have a lot of quality on them. Uh, Roma is going to be like like Greg said, they're going to be safe there uh, in, in Champions League. But um, the other two, they have a little bit too much quality to be on a long losing streak. Even though Inter are currently kind of in one, but. Um. Yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be tough for Milan, but I, it's possible. Let's jump right into it then. Um, uh, the marquee game of match week twenty six uh, will take place on Sunday night on the twenty fifth. Roma and Milan, uh, third against seventh, two form teams. Uh, just what we want. Uh, they're both gonna have a midweek European game. Uh, so they're both going to be coming off of that, although Milan will afford a little bit of rotation considering they have the 3-0 advantage over Ludogorets. Roma getting into their first leg Champions League game at Shakhtar Donetsk. So they've got the long trip there before coming back to the Olympico to take on Milan. Um, this is going to be the big game. And uh, I, if Milan can win this game, Greg, then this top four race gets even more interesting, don't you think? 
No doubt about it. No doubt about it. If Milan come here, go to the Olimpico, pick up the three points against an informal Roma side, as you mentioned, it kind of highlights their credentials. It, it kind of uh, underscores the change that Gattuso has instilled into the Milan side, into the, the in more than anything, the mentality of these players who looked broken before he came. Uh, so if they get a win against Roma, suddenly they think to themselves, you know what? We're just as good as the sides ahead of us. We could we could do this. We could push on and string together another string of results. Uh, so if they go there, beat Roma, it will do a lot for their mentality. It will help them a lot on the table. Uh, and as we mentioned, Inter and Lazio are struggling. So I'm sure in the next coming weeks, they will be dropping uh, some some points around here and there. So regardless, they will, they will make up some ground. And if they want to make top four, they're going to have to beat their direct competitors. They're going to have to beat the sides above them, which they have struggled to do this in recent times. But uh, judging from the recent form, judging for, from how solid they've been at the back more than anything, they should have it in them to stop Zeko and, and company up top. I'm going to put you on the spot. I'll, uh, give us a prediction for that game. Oof, 2-2. Uh, I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair with Roma being a bit tired coming off uh, European clash. But I, I do believe fine, they're going to find a way to breach either defense, basically, as good as they've both been. Richard, I read somewhere that Bonucci was a yellow away from a suspension. Thank God he didn't get that today against Sampdoria. It will be available yeah, for this game. Yeah, he could have got one, but he didn't get one. That's, that's the key. <laughs> so uh, do you want to give a prediction on this one? Are you going to wear the red and black glasses for this, or are you going to be the, uh, the unbiased, mild-mannered reporter? Maybe I'll wear the black and white glasses. No, um, <laughs> I'm going to go with who? I am going to say 2-1 for the Rossoneri. Oh, yeah. wow. I, I, I want to desperately go there. Um, I'm going to chicken out and say 1-1. And I don't think either team will really be bothered by the result, uh, you know, to be fair in the, you know, in the long run. I think that... Yeah, Milan will be all right with it being able to travel to Roma. Let's not let's not forget that Milan are still for for the run that they're on. They still have their issues. They still have their issues in away games. Okay, and and going to Ludogorets and winning three 0 doesn't solve that. Um, so I'll say one one, and I think that they'll be happy with that to know that they can go to you know a top three side, go to their place, and be able to to to, to carve something out. Uh, you know, to build on their campaign. So I'll go 1-1. Greg's going 2-2. Richard's going to say Milan win it 2-1. Uh, so what do you all think? Roma-Milan, that's the big one. Two teams finding a finding themselves in a great run of form at this point, uh, and that will be the big one on February 25th. Go to at City, I sit down on Twitter, Instagram with your predictions. Uh, got a little bit of Europe stuff to tend to. Let's get to that before we put a bow on this edition. All right, gents, and we'll rip through this really quick. Uh, Roma head to Shakhtar. We'll start with that, Greg. Uh, I predicted Roma would uh, get a score draw out of this uh, and take that take that advantage. I've also made the bold prediction during our midseason podcast that I think Roma are the kind of team and have the kind of setup and the kind of tactics under Eusebio Di Francesco where it would not surprise me that they reach the semifinals of this Champions League. And I'm saying that about Roma. Um, <laughs> that's bold. Fragile that's a bold little, prediction. Fragile, fragile, yeah, fragile, <laughs> fragile little Roma. Um, uh, well, hell, you know, if I can, if I can predict Juventus to reach the final of last season's Champions League, why not go for it again? So, uh, and and, and say that Roma will reach the last four. 
Uh, give us, I mean, Richard and I gave our predictions a couple weeks ago on this game. Uh, how do you see, uh, how do you see this game going on in Ukraine? In the, okay, so we're talk, strictly talking about the first leg. I do think Shakhtar will, will prevail actually, because, uh, Paulo Fonseca's men, this is a manager who has slept on around Europe. I think in a couple of years from now, we'll see him make, uh, the step up to a big club just because of the, the ideals he instills on his side. Shakhtar plays some truly attractive football. They play some a possession-based style that will hurt Roma. Roma won't see much of the ball in the Ukraine, uh, which is a style of play that they're not exactly accustomed to. They're going to have to hit Shakhtar on the counter, which Roma, they play better when they have the ball. There's no denying that. So I do think Shakhtar will win the first leg, perhaps uh, 2-1, something like that. Nothing more than a one-goal difference. And then there's all to play for at the Olympico when they get home. The crucial part about it is Roma need an away goal, so they have something to go bring back home, or else uh, I do think Shakhtar will progress if they don't get that away goal. I predicted a score draw, Richard. Um, what, what was your prediction on this one? Uh, I think I had the exact same, same, same prediction as you, score draw. Okay. Are you sticking with that? I'm sticking with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They'll take, I think they can take a slight advantage to the Olympico and, and then see Shakhtar out uh, – uh, you know, at that point. So, I mean, Shakhtar's performance in this competition so far has been rather flattering. I think in the in the first leg, they caught Napoli. On match day one, They, you know, their home game against Napoli, they caught Napoli on a bad day. Um, and really a game that Napoli could have won when, you know, if anyone Everyone's catching it. Napoli in, the, in Europe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, but then, and then they beat, you know, they beat a Manchester City side that, you know, on match day six, you know, at the Ukraine, that the Manchester City side that had already had their place wrapped up and wasn't terribly interested in this game, um, you know. So you know, so there's there's that side of it. They've got some, and, and Shakhtar's got some pretty promising players there. Um, they're always a thorn. It's always tough to go there. But I, I I'm going to go with the score draw. Um, okay, so uh, Europa League uh, second leg. Uh, we're going to skip the Red Bull Leipzig Napoli. We don't have to give a prediction on that. We already know Napoli don't care. Um, as evidenced by their lineup and performance on Thursday uh, in that 3-1 defeat. I think that the, the, the most shocking thing to me um, was just that they lost at the San Paulo. I thought it would be a score draw, and then Leipzig would go ahead and finish the business uh, in Germany, but the business has already been done, in my opinion. So let's look at the other ones and uh, kind of see the situations there in Milan. They'll host Ludogratz with a 3-0 advantage, three away goals. Um and then uh, we've got uh, Lazio in a 1-0 deficit, but hosting uh, Stahl Bucharest. And then Atalanta uh, with two away goals in a 3-2 defeat at Borussia Dortmund, now getting the German side uh, in Bergamo on Thursday. So, uh, Greg, I think Milan's a formality and they'll rotate a little bit, uh, but let's focus on those other two ones, uh, those other two games. Can Lazio and – do you see Lazio – do you see Lazio? Do you see Atalanta? Do you see both, or do you see neither going through? Uh, if I have to pick between one of them, frankly, I, I don't trust Lazio or uh, Atlanta to get the, the results they need to progress. Uh, that being said, I do think Lazio are likelier to progress just because they're not playing Borussia Dortmund. Yes, they're they're not in great form, but overturning a one 0 deficit shouldn't be too hard for Inzaghi's men. Uh, then you look at Atalanta, who had a great performance against uh, the German side, uh, pushing them all the way to the 93rd minute uh, where Mishiba Shuai picked up that winner. So I would expect more of the same from Gasparini's men. As you mentioned earlier in the podcast, they did arrest uh, some some of their better players 
in hopes of getting them in full form and fitness against uh, Borussia Dortmund. But at the end of the day, I, I don't think they have enough uh, to overcome that deficit, despite their two goals. Uh, so I'm going to have to go with Lazio on this one, going through. Okay. So you will go with Lazio going through and Atalanta going out? Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay, Richard, how do you... Uh, Lazio, Atalanta, neither or both? Um, both. I think Lazio can overcome the one goal disadvantage. Uh, it's Stal Bucharest. Stal Bucharest is not what they used to be. Um, they're not as formidable as they used to be. So I think Lazio have the quality to, to overcome that. Um, they're down. Uh, Atalanta is one goal. They got a two away goals, which is big. If they can at least get a draw, they, that's advantage to them. And I think they can come away with, the, with that and progress on. Well, if they get a draw, they'll be out. Yeah, because they lost three two. Yeah, no, no. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're right. I mean, I know in your world, I know in your world, <laughs> I meant score give, draw or three two legs. You're in your world. You like to give you like to give medals to everybody. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I meant score draw throughout for both legs combined. <laughs> okay, so uh, like a two one victory will be you know whatever. Okay, four. so okay, so if you're saying they're gonna win one, they can win one nil or two one, and then they'll go through. Okay, so if you're the, if yeah, yeah. if they're tied on aggregate and they have more away goals. Okay, I yeah, got that's you. what I meant. I meant that's what I meant. Okay, mm-hmm. I got you. You, you right. speak more eloquently than I do. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, I, I, I'm going to go with both. Also, I think that um, I think that I think that Atalanta is going to get this. Uh, I just there's something about them at home here in this competition. Um, you know, I, they're not going to be phased, um, and uh, you know they they rested some guys here, and I think that they can they can go on and and get the result that they need to go through. I don't know exactly what the score is going to be, uh, and I think Lazio are going to to be able to put uh, you know to put Stiawa aside and go through. So uh, I think Milan, Lazio, Atalanta will all continue get to the last sixteen of this competition. Napoli, they'll send a changed side out to Germany. They'll probably lose something like two three nil and not even care that it happened. Uh, so they're, they're, they're all in on the Scudetto at this point. So uh, with that, that'll put a bow on this edition of the Serie Sit-Down. So time for everybody to uh, do a shameless plug. Uh, Greg, uh, a little bit of the, uh, l- little bit on what, you're, uh, what you got coming up for our listeners to tune into and where they can find you on Twitter. So like I said, I'm working on that Patrick Cutrone piece for these footy times. That's, I'm going to look to have that ready for sometime this week or next week. Uh, if you want to read that, I'm going to plug it on my Twitter account at, at GCaltabanis, GC and then Altabanis. I'm pretty sure that's pretty straightforward. Uh, other than that, be sure to check out Italian Football Daily on Twitter as well, where I'm an editor. We just started uh, selling merchandise, T-shirts, stuff like that. So if, it, if Italian Football merch is your thing, uh, drop us a follow and uh, have a look. Excellent stuff, excellent stuff. Richard, how about you? Uh, as always, you can find me at r underscore k h a r m a n, and when I'm not doing a Syria sit down, I'm on the uh, Schalke podcast over there. Uh, so you can find me there, and I'm, I'm working on a piece right now. Um, I'm trying to decide between a couple of players, and I'll keep it at that. And then when it when it's released, uh, you'll know you'll you'll be surprised. So it's a, it's a young player. That's all I'll say. Excellent. Uh, you can find me at ftc underscore twenty one on Twitter. Uh, my blog, The Calcio Consultant, can be found on worldfootballindex.com. Uh, I will be working on another piece. I was actually getting ready to start putting together a uh, piece on uh, a a favorite of mine uh, from years ago, Dejan Savicevic, a, a, a genius that might be forgotten in an era of geniuses in Italian football. Uh, you know, just largely just because 
he was playing for Montenegro, going through Yugoslavia, not making it, not not being allowed to qualify for the '94 World Cup. So getting lost in the shuffle, you know, of all of these uh, great players that came through in the early '90s. Uh, but uh, I want to uh, congratulate uh, Nebosha Markovic uh, at Markovic N-E-B, uh, for beating me to it and putting out a piece on Dejan Savicevic that was very well written. So uh, instead of me putting something out, I'm going to just tell you, go to him uh, and give that a read. It was very well put together. Um, if, uh, if you're not familiar with Il Gino, uh, one of the uh, – underrated and most one of the underrated but important players of Milan's history. Uh, but I'll have something else that I'll come up with instead. Uh, and then also uh, I uh, was a guest on the Banter FC podcast that will come out on Wednesday with uh, host Tyler Dunn. I uh, had a very engaging conversation about Serie A there, so uh, look forward to that. Um, otherwise, uh, keep the questions coming at Celia Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram or topics for future podcasts. We'd love to cover what you're interested in hearing. Uh, until then, uh, thank you for listening and be sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao.